0: Welcome back to Practice Purchased, the podcast all about dental transitions. We're doing season three, last episode of the season, uh, episode 10. I have Ashley Garby Smith. We're talking about all the other legal stuff you need a lawyer, lawyer for in your career. Ashley, welcome back. Thank you. Ashley, this is a common question. The reason we're ending with this, right? This is a transitions based podcast, and we're going to talk about some kind of non transition y stuff for a very specific reason. I know. As a non-lawyer, a lot of times I get clients asking me, okay, what does the lawyer do? How much do they cost? And then there's always this tacked on question. Sometimes it's up front. Sometimes it's towards the end of a deal when they're asking about other legal related things. (laughs) And so I very strategically put this episode in here because I wanted people to be thinking ahead about the other aspects of their career they're going to need a lawyer for And whether or not it should be you or someone else. And so we're going to get into all of that. And um, so, Ashley, thank you for putting together the outline for the episode. I've got it up in front of me. What I'm going to do is, since I have the outline, I am going to just tell you what the the topic is, Ashley, and then ask you the same three questions (laughs) for each of the topics. And the three questions are going to be A, do I really need a lawyer for this? B, does it need to be a dental specific lawyer? And then C, Does that, with this specific point, should I just work with the lawyer that I worked with on my transition? And I I suspect the answer to that last one is going to be, it depends, but you're going to talk to some of the subtleties there. Does that seem like a decent outline and way to approach this?
1: Yes, let's approach it that way. That would be great.
0: Okay, perfect. So everything else you need legal. So we are setting the transition aside. We're talking, you know, we're not talking asset purchase agreement. We're not talking leases talking about now we've got a dentist who is either about to or has closed they own a business they're running their business and there are going to be other things that come up in their career that they should maybe maybe and you're going to tell us when think about having a lawyer involved right so actually let's start with just let's start with employee manuals or employee contracts and, and then we're including associates, we're including assistants, hygienists, front desk, we're including everybody. Three questions. Do I really need a, a lawyer? Does the, do they have to be dental specific? And should it be my transitions lawyer? Employment manuals.
1: Okay. So employee manuals. Do I really need a lawyer? Okay. The answer to this is maybe not.
0: Okay.
1: However... I would recommend, I know there are companies out there that actually draft employee manuals specifically for dental practices, and it's highly likely that they have had lawyers draft those employee manuals for them. So if you're going with a company that does it specifically for dental practices, then you may not need a lawyer because they have probably already done that legal work on the back, you know, on the front end for you. However, if you're starting from scratch and you don't have a company like that, You don't want to be drafting the employee manual yourself because employment law can be very tricky. And you have to be very careful because an employee manual can actually be seen by a court as a contract. And so, the way that the language that you have in your employee manual, you have to ensure whether or not you want that to be a contract between you and your employees. And a lot of dentists don't realize that. And it's, you know, I actually was involved in litigation with an employee and a dentist where and and actually other some other businesses too where the judge said absolutely yes this employee manual is considered a contract so because of that I would say you want it drafted by a legal professional um, but of course employee agreements associate agreements those type of agreements you want drafted by a lawyer and the funny thing is is I I was talking to a client actually just yesterday and the seller, this, this isn't a transition obviously, but the seller has decided not to hire an attorney for the transition. Oh boy. And what the seller said was, I have seen so many contracts in my life that I could review this in my sleep or I could draft this in my sleep and I don't need a lawyer for it. But frankly, that's like me saying, I have had so many cavities filled that I could go ahead and just <laughs> fill my own cavity. Right. So, so yes, and, and here's another reason why. Um, I wanna specifically talk about in employee contracts, non-compete provisions.
0: Okay, so time These, out. We've got the okay. two documents: we've got the manuals, which is what I'm right. handing to my assistants, my front desk, my hygienists. It talks yes. about vacation out, you know, um, here's how you request time off. Um, if you need maternity leave, this is how we're gonna do it, stuff like that. And then you've got associate contracts or employment contracts, usually right. usually between the dentists, right? Exactly. Okay, so yes. we're into the associate yes. contracts, keep going.
1: Yes, or it can you know it could be you know with the hygienist or your staff members okay. as well. Right. Um, which I, I think that you should have a contract with all of your employees. But um, even in a right you know, because, work state. Yes, because you're dealing with some very confidential information and patient records, and it's to protect yourself as a practice. Um, Now, let's be honest, I think most dentists listening to this probably don't have contracts with some of their staff members. But I personally think that you should. But also, um, you know, going back to the non-compete provisions, you have to be very careful how you draft non-compete provisions because they are often found unenforceable by courts. Right. And so you want to make sure that your non-compete provision is actually going to be enforceable because if it's not, it could render the entire contract unenforceable. Interesting.
0: Okay. All right. So do sounds like then, yep, probably have a lawyer at least look over or help draft an employee manual. If so, as associate or employee contracts for sure, dental specific sounds like, yes. What about um, my transitions person?
1: So your transitions person probably can help you draft the contracts. I would say many transitions dentists don't necessarily draft employee manuals. Okay. Um, so, so
0: you but, might be looking at a lawyer for that specific piece of the post. Yes, okay. All right. Um, we've got other contracts like incent, excuse me, informed consent forms. So yes. informed consent, let's talk about that. my standard three questions. do I really need a lawyer? they have to be dental? And it, should it be my transitions person?
1: Okay, informed consent forms, 100% you need a lawyer. And here's why. Because you can go online and you can find these forms. Mm-hmm. You can find these informed consent forms. And frankly, that's what a lot of people do. But these forms are very state-specific because each state has certain requirements for what constitutes informed consent. So that's why you need a lawyer to draft these for you. And you need a lawyer, especially in your jurisdiction. To help you draft these forms to make sure that they're actually enforceable and that they meet the certain requirements for what your state requires um so yes you do need a lawyer for this
0: okay nice what about um let's go back to employees for a second um this is off of contracts or manuals but let's say i I buy a practice i'm a dentist and i've been working with the staff for a month or two and i want to fire someone what then what do i need to think about on the legal side When, you know, terminating employee turnover, hiring, some of those things?
1: Yes. So again, employment law is very state specific and it's not a one size fits all for for every state. So you need to have a lawyer that will help you stay compliant with the state's requirements for employment law. You know, one thing that states are really cracking down on is the misclassification of employees and independent contractors. Sure. And so you have to be very cautious. If you have independent contractors, they need to be true independent contractors. And the IRS actually has a 20 point, um, you can actually go, go on And Google it, but yeah, yeah, and, and it's, you have, if you are not following, you, you know, you follow all of those 20 points. And if you are not following that to a T, then you could be liable for back taxes, because you're misidentifying your workers. And so it's really important to have a lawyer for that to make sure that okay. you're not gonna end up paying tens of thousands of dollars in back taxes later on.
0: Got it, so 1099 versus W2, which is a tax shorthand for independent contractor versus employee. I would say 99% of the dentists I know, that's gonna apply on a, a specific to an associate. When it comes to the staff, um, I very rarely see dentists trying to slip staff through as, as independent contractors. But let me go back to one thing you just said. When you're talking about, I was talking about firing someone. And you're saying, right. "Yep, yeah, yeah, you need to make sure you're following the rules." Are you telling me that anytime I want to fire someone as the as a dental practice owner, I need to call my lawyer first?
1: No, you don't need to every single time. Yeah. I think as long as you have procedures in place. So what you really want to do is you want to call a lawyer at the outset and say, "Okay, can you help me know if I decide that I want to fire somebody, how can I do that and make sure that I'm not going to have a wrongful termination lawsuit on my hands?" And at that point, You know, you put the procedure in place first and, and as long as you have the procedure in place, then, you know, fire away. But, um, you just need to make sure that, you know, if, you know, are you an at will employment state or not? Mm -hmm. And, you know, that really is going to matter. So put the procedure in place first, then you can move forward how you want to later on down the road.
0: So the answers to my three questions on this specific point are, I'm hearing, Probably good to have a lawyer help with the initial kind of process setting up. Right. It makes sense to have them be dental specific because they're going to understand the Id- idiosyncrasies of a dental practice and speak the language a little bit. And then I think what I'm hearing is doesn't necessarily need to be my transitions lawyer for this specific deal point. Is that what I'm hearing? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And especially if your transitions lawyer isn't, isn't licensed in your state, you, you're, you're probably better off getting an employment lawyer in your jurisdiction. Okay. Um, So, you know, and then you, you also talked about, um, you know, if, if I want to, well, actually maybe you didn't talk about this, but maybe we just should talk about harassment and discrimination Mm, lawsuits that are employee related because this happens when you're working very closely with people, and you know, dental dental practices tend to be small. Mm. You know, you're you're working with usually fewer than twenty people. Right. And interestingly enough, these lawsuits tend to pop up in smaller environments huh. um, where you're working very closely with people. So harassment lawsuits and discrimination lawsuits. It's important for dentists to understand that they are responsible for everything that happens at their practice. So whether it's the dentist being discriminatory or harassing that doesn't matter the dentist is going to be held responsible. So that's why it's important to have procedures and processes in place if so, so somebody feels like like they can come forward if they are if they feel like they're being harassed or discriminated against.
0: Is this then maybe the lawyer that helped me look over my employee manual that's helping me put that in place and some protections?
1: So usually you want a litigation attorney for this, because at this point you're going to have the lawsuit brought to you by a plaintiff, which is probably going to be a current or former employee. And you want somebody who has litigation experience with discrimination. It's not just a litigator, but someone who specifically has experience with either harassment lawsuits or discrimination lawsuits.
0: Okay, so I'm getting a little confused. Help me out. This is just because I'm slow. So, I I do want an attorney to help me with my employee manual. I also want an uh, an attorney with litigation experience to look at my policies and procedures around harassment, sexual assault, or whatever sexual harassment. Some of those things can are, are those typically the same person, and how am I finding them?
1: Yes. Yeah, so so actually. If we're talking before the lawsuit, mm-hmm. then yes, you, you know a, someone doing your employee manual and your contracts can help you put the processes and procedures in place to avoid harassment and discrimination lawsuits. At the point you get a demand letter for a harassment or discrimination lawsuit, or you get served with a harassment or discrimination lawsuit, that's when you need a litigation attorney who specifically works with those types of lawsuits.
0: I see. Okay. That makes sense. All right, let's move on to estate planning. Wills, yes. living wills, some of those. I know you're good uh, because you drafted my will. <laughs> so yes, I I did. know you're very experienced with estate debt. So again, estate planning, um, I, I guess why would a dentist buying a dental practice, A, need to even think about this right now? And then B, need to ask our, our three questions. Do I need a lawyer? I, I think most people are going to say yes to estate planning on do I need a lawyer? But there they're again, like, Can't my family lawyer do it? Can't the estate planning lawyer down the road? And should it be my transitions person? Talk me through some of the estate planning issues here.
1: Yeah, so a lot of dentists, in fact, I would say um, as far as buyers go, probably 90% of the buyers that I talk to don't have any type of estate planning in place. And it's really important for any business owner, including a dentist who owns a dental practice to have some kind of estate planning in place. And the reason is because you are generally, you're either the sole owner of the practice or you're in a partnership. And if you don't have some type of estate planning in place, then the court is going to decide what happens to your interest in your practice. And you don't want that happening. Yeah, absolutely. I totally
0: agree. uh, I I guess define for me what you mean by estate planning because I would argue... Most of the buyers I deal with do have some kind of estate planning in place, but I think my definition is different, right? Most of my buyers are getting a life insurance policy. They're getting a disability policy. If they're in a partnership, that partnership agreement has language that describes what happens if someone gets hit by a bus. You know, so I would argue that that is a form of estate planning, but I suspect your definition is a little different. Walk me through that. Yes,
1: and, and, and you are right. So that's part of the equation. But really, you know, you and I talked about, you know, I drafted your wills for you, but I prefer for business owners like dentists to have a large stake in a company to have a trust. And that the reason is because if you don't have a trust, if you only have a will and you, or you don't have a will at all, and you don't have a trust, then your family still has to deal with the court in your state when you die. And If you have a trust, then your estate gets to completely skip the probate process, which is the process with the court to um, manage your estate after your death. But as long as you have a trust, you you don't have to deal with the court system. And so, what happens sometimes with dental practices is you have to probate the dentist's interest in his or her practice, and it has to go through a court. It's very expensive um you you sometimes you have to get the partners involved no matter what the operating agreement says you still have to get the court involved and so it's much easier to create a trust and avoid the whole court process altogether and make sure that your trust coincides with your operating agreement with your life insurance policies and that the beneficiary you know of uh, of certain life insurance policies depending on what your oper- operating agreement says is like is the trust. And for some, the beneficiary is going to be your partners, or it's going to be the practice or the company, but you want to make sure that you have that all set out and all put together. And I think for dentists, the preferred estate plan would be to have a trust.
0: Got it. So trust, wills, like what else is on my list? When I call my lawyer and say, I need some uh, some help with my estate planning. What, what What's my checklist? What are the documents I'm okay. asking for?
1: You'll also want a power of attorney, okay. and this can be put into effect immediately once it's signed, which gives somebody else, and usually it's a spouse, but it gives somebody else the right to manage your finances or get access to financial documents okay. while you're still alive. It can also be a springing power of attorney that doesn't give somebody that access until you become incapacitated, Got it. but it's in effect while you are
0: alive. So will, um, trust, power of attorney. Power
1: of attorney. Will. And then the other thing is a... Um, healthcare directive. Some people call this a living will, but these are usually state specific and they are, they provide somebody the ability to be your healthcare agent. If you can't speak for yourself,
0: do you pull the plug on me if I'm a vegetable? Okay. Yep. And the, my answers are yes. I want an attorney for all of this. Sounds like no, they don't need to be dental specific and no, it's probably not my transitions person.
1: Yeah, that's I think that's correct. However, I will say that I do estate planning for dentists in Utah. Okay. But because estate planning is state specific, you'll want to get somebody in your state.
0: Yeah. So just ask your transitions person. Okay. I like it. Right. Okay. Um let's talk about compliance stuff in the practice. Patient rights forms, you know, records, HIPAA, things like that. What what comes up and what should a dentist buying a dental practice think about on the legal side here?
1: You know, and I think this kind of goes along with some of the employee, like the employee manual issues, Mm -hmm. and you could probably have the same lawyer that does your employee manual and your employment contracts help you with your compliance issues, just to make sure that you're compliant with, you know, all government agencies and make sure that you're compliant with HIPAA and other standards. And it is probably important to have a, an attorney who is familiar with dental practices, dental
0: law. Okay, nice. Um, that's really helpful. So let me think through here. I'm a new practice owner. I've talked about all the other stuff. Is there anything else you want to mention for a new practice owner on the legal side that we haven't talked about yet, Ashley?
1: Um, for a new practice owner, maybe not. I mean, we, we, uh, haven't talked about lawsuits
0: which can be prevalent for yeah, talk, dentists. Talk to me a little bit about how to protect myself now and what I need to know just just in the on a high level on a legal okay
1: side. on a very high level dental malpractice and negligent loss you know negligence lawsuits um, can be prevalent for dentists and now granted I know very few dentists who get sued but I also have I have a little bit of a skewed perspective because I was a litigator, um, and I have seen dentists get caught in the crosshairs of potential lawsuits. I, I will say dental malpractice lawsuits are tough cases for plaintiffs. Mm-hmm. They're they really tough because the plaintiff has to prove that not only the dentist's actions were inconsistent with accepted professional standards, but that that dentist negligence actually caused the patient's injuries. And so, they are tough for plaintiffs. and. What you want to just make sure in your practice is that you get informed consent from your patients. And because I found as a litigator that informed consent can win or lose a case. Now, granted, your malpractice insurance is probably going to be the one that pays out on these claims. Most of these cases settle. Most of them don't go to trial. But if they do go to trial, you actually need an expert witness which is usually a retired dentist who makes a ton of money as an expert witness, by the way. And you need that that expert witness who used to be a dentist or maybe some kind of specialist say, yes, what this dentist did, did not conform to the accepted professional standards. And yes, what he did actually caused this issue. And I was involved with several lawsuits, one specifically for trigeminal neuralgia, And we could not get an expert witness, you know, a former dentist or specialist to say that and to say that this trigeminal neuralgia was caused by this dentist negligence.
0: So I almost hear you saying as long as I have malpractice insurance and, you know, I have some forms that they sign as they walk through the door, then I'm good to go.
1: Uh, As long as you are actually adhering to the accepted professional standards for whatever it is that you're doing. Yes.
0: Can I just, and and we're a little over time, just say as a patient in a dental practice, and this has nothing to do with the legal side, um, if, if you hand me a clipboard and I have to physically grab a pen and sign things, my very first thought about your practice is, which century are we in (laughs) and do you even know what you're doing as a dentist and I'm sorry. And I know that that's not true and it's not fair, but if I'm signing paper forms, uh, so that's just a little side note, a little practice management tip as we end the podcast.
1: No. And I'm, I'm actually glad that you brought that up because you can have all of this done online. You know, it doesn't have to be a physical signature. All they have to do is click a box. Right? So, so I think that's a really good point. So Have an attorney that's also a little bit tech savvy that can help you make sure that you get that online to where it's easier for a patient to just click a box and it's still informed consent.
0: Okay, Ashley, thank you so much. There's no way we've covered every issue and possible permutation of these types of questions. When dentists have specific questions about their situations that we haven't covered in these episodes, how do they get in touch with you?
1: So the best way to get in touch with me is going to my website at agsdentallaw.com. Or they can just email me at Ashley at agslawfirm.com.
0: Okay. And Ashley, we'll put that email address in the show notes for all 10 of these episodes so people can find it easily. I really can't thank you enough. Uh, just to be clear, <laughs> Ashley was not paid. Ashley uh, did not pay me. Uh, she's just someone that I, I like, like, know, and trust. And I wanted to make sure that uh, she got in front of you, the listeners, uh, so that you get a sense of these types of issues and the things that are going to come up in your transition. Best of luck, Ashley. Thank you again for your time. And uh, we'll see you in the next season.
1: Thanks. I appreciate you.